politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing guard at the ready to protect your lives, those of your family and your property. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house on Wednesday, June the 3rd. And I apologize if you hear screaming in the background today. The kids are kind of off the wall. But we are not allowed to have school because it will spread the virus. Even as it hasn't spread in 22 nations that opened up schools. But you could have thousands of people on top of each other. Kneeling, crying, hugging. And yes, burning, beating, and looting. That will never spread the virus because this is a very special virus. Just like it doesn't go to Home Depot and Amazon and Lowe's and Walmart, but it goes to small business. Well, you know, if you pray in a church, look, you could bring a match to the church. Just don't bring a prayer book. If you go to small business, bring a bit a brick. Just don't bring your wallet. Um This virus just has its quirks. Folks, we have a lot of information. I know a lot of you are asking me to get back to some some of the lies on the virus that have come out. Every day there's more news I haven't gotten to. Um, But again, the two really tie together. One is the embodiment of anarchy. One's the embodiment of tyranny. They are all promulgated through media lies, illusions, Focus on things in a vacuum, viral videos, statements that don't reflect the reality that are really the opposite of the reality, but they use them to to reflect or portend in their mind a systemic problem. And you ask yourself this, at a time like this, where we are confronted with the worst societal economic issues, I mean, you talk about the economy, the Atlanta Fed yesterday said... They're predicting GDP loss in the second quarter of 53% at an annualized level. 53%. It's unfathomable. Blows out anything in the Great Depression. And now any business that wanted to get off the ground to start rebuilding, well, if you're in a city. And again, I don't just mean like Atlanta, Dallas, LA, Chicago, New York. I mean every stinking city. Every city. That's what's unique about this. I mean, that's how bad it is. I was speaking to some officials in Georgia yesterday. It's not Atlanta. I mean, it is, but it's not only Atlanta. It's Gainesville. It's Athens. Every every city. Small city. Mid-sized city. And you would think that as things get so extreme, so radical from the media, from the Democrats, from the left, from Antifa, from the mobs... The devastating consequences to our liberty and security and economy. You would think now would be the time where it is so easy, easier than ever for Republicans, even the most liberal Republicans, much less those that, you know, sell themselves as conservatives to provide the boldest contrast from what the left is offering and win the hearts and minds of the silent majority. But yet the opposite happens. And I talk about this all the time. The more the left does this, the more it pushes the Overton window further off the the cliff, the more it allows Republicans to find some sort of distinction 
over one very minor point and then agree to the rest of the enchilada. So like with the lockdowns, it was like, yeah, don't do some of the more extreme things. But fundamentally, they agreed to have the lockdown. They agreed to fund it, fund the unemployment, fund people not to work. Um, You know, everything they wanted, they gave. Uh, Just don't fund the Kennedy Center. Okay, similar thing here. Yeah, just let's not have the I mean, look, you guys have an amazing racial injustice. Somehow this is about race, even though there's no evidence that what happened in Minneapolis had anything to do with race with that cop. Um, Police brutality doesn't equal racism. It's, you know, the ones that are brutal are brutal to everyone. But whatever. Um, Racial injustice. You guys are awesome. Please protest. You are indispensable. Crowd in in 5,000 people. Break the stay-at-home orders while churches uh, and schools can't convene. But yeah, you guys are amazing. Just try not to kill and beat too many people. That's basically the Republican line. But now it's taken to the next level, both in the White House and the Senate. Let's unpack this a little bit. So, we knew this was coming. According to Axios, Trump backs off push to federalize forces against riots. A day after threatening to federalize forces to snuff out riots across the country, the president appears to be backing off the idea of invoking the Insurrection Act. Sources familiar with his plans tell Axios. Aides say he hasn't ruled out its use at some point, but that he's pleased with the way protests were handled last night, apart from New York City. See, this is what I'm worried about. Again, the Overton window, the frogs in the boiling water. I'm not worried about it spiraling like a death spiral out of control in the sense of it getting more violent than it's been the last few days. But what's worse? One Rodney King level rioting in one city or rioting in Every single city, not just major city, every single in the city in the country, albeit it doesn't reach quite those levels and they keep it low enough that it doesn't grab enough headlines. But what it does is it, it ensures that nobody is safe to go in any city to conduct commerce, to do anything, and the extortion will continue. Remember, Tucker did a good job two nights ago, but you need sustained pressure on this man. He will react commensurate to how much pressure you put on him. You put one day's worth of pressure, he'll do one thing to diffuse that pressure. But folks, this is much deeper than that. Why is he backing off? Because the same people who didn't want him to give that speech originally don't want him to follow up on it. So if you don't force him to follow up on it, he won't follow up on it. You got... Brooke Rollins, the cokehead, and Jared Kushner pushing abolish bail on a federal level. I mean, you literally, I mean, certain things are hard. You have to do research in order to fight and debate the other side. This case, it's all, I mean, the New York Post did your work for you. Three, four months worth of endless, insane stories of the most violent repeat offenders being let out to re-offend, to, to beat people. I mean, the left lost the debate. Even, the, even some of the mainstream media started making fun out of New York's abolish bail law. 
You would think Republicans, Lindsey Graham and the Senate Judiciary Committee would hold hearings on it, would provide a bold contrast, would push an agenda into the presidential election of tougher on crime laws, more deterrent against career violent criminals. Instead, no. They, 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 whatever slop the left and the media throw in that trough, Republicans just come like a bunch of sheep, go, they, they slurp it up. Whatever they have to offer, they move further and further to the left. I've been pushing for years. We need legislation toughening up gun felons, toughening up mandatory minimum, minimums, getting rid of a lot of the judicial loopholes that were created that ensure that violent criminals get let loose. Rather than encouraging states to do jailbreak, disincentivizing them, and cutting off funding. No response from Lindsey Graham as they let out 67,000 criminals. Nothing. Suddenly, the media and left say, we need to do something about police brutality. They take one video and literally lie about the data. Obviously, my article went all around yesterday. What we talked about, I was on Mark Levin's show. Thank you to him for focusing on this. And this is from the Washington Examiner. Citing police tactics, McConnell opened to federal legislation in response to George Floyd protests. It's never about us. And folks, remember, you can never win a boxing match if you tie your hands behind your back and you will never throw a punch and only they get to throw punches. Sometimes you could duck and weave out of it, but you're going to get hit. And it's the same thing. We have a country of 330 million people. You could find an anecdote in a video to push, to, to create an illusion of a widespread problem on anything in order to push an agenda. But the, the, the good news is, whereas let's say there's one example of something that the left wants to push, there's thousands of examples of what we want to push, and they don't use them. So, like, let's say every, you know, every six months, Democrats have something to push gun control. They have something to push, you know, weaker on crime legislation. But we have in between those six months, every day, every day stories of people who needlessly die and are victimized by repeat violent offenders who should have been locked up 50 million times. And because of a million legislative and judicial loopholes that need to be fixed through legislation and can be fixed, they get out. And it's a needless life lost. And then often, even after that, the family doesn't get justice. They get let out on a technicality. They barely serve any time. If they're duly convicted, then they find millions of ways to retroactively release them. Basically, turning justice on its head. But there you have it, McConnell. I can understand the outrage. He said, uh, he, he said at a closed-door lunch. Um, and basically, he's just pushing uh, pushing jailbreak now. Certainly, it's something we need to take a look at. Okay? Then you have, according to Bloomberg, Lindsey Graham looks to Obama-era policing. Obama-era? I mean, folks... Republicans are now where Obama was on crime. I mean, this is unbelievable. Lindsey Graham said he's committed to a deep dive on policing and race relations. 
How about take a deep dive and look at the damn data? The overwhelming issue for us is after you stop the rioting, which we will, what are you going to do about the problem that led to the protest? Again, it's legitimizing it. Uh, what about... What about... The thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands of victims of crime that are A, needlessly victimized to begin with because government fails to protect them with proper deterrent and punishment. And then even after they're victimized, they never get justice. Unlike Floyd and his family, which will absolutely get justice. Frankly, disproportionate to what anyone else gets. I mean, does that mean that we need to riot? Do, do we need to start burning things and beating people and dragging them out of their cars to get attention and to get government to do its, its core job? Even when we had, forget that one stupid video, but we had widespread shutting of hundreds of thousands of small businesses. The biggest thing we ever advocated here was simply open up your business and serve customers. That's all we pushed for. We never pushed for blocking traffic or other forms of like civil disobedience, much less harming other people and burning down other people's businesses. But I, I'm just asking rhetorically, is that what we need to do? This, the squeaky wheel gets oil. Whatever the media and the mob say, that's the issue of our time. Hey, Lindsay, I thought lockdown and the virus was the issue of the time. It's like these Republicans are nothing but the filthy, unwiped rear end of the left. Wherever they go, they move along with them. And Trump, rather than providing that bold contrast that people are looking for, away from Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, he's in with them. Because we don't hold them accountable. I mean, give me one good reason. Email me, dharwitz at blazemedia.com. You could discuss this on, on, on the comments section on our public page, Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary on Facebook, our private page, Miniman Speakeasy. Answer me this. Do you guys really, would you prefer that Trump remain the top of the Republican ticket against Biden? Or would you rather he resign and someone like Ron DeSantis or Tom Cotton is nominated in his place. I'm, I'm just, I know it's hypothetical. I know we have no ability to get that to happen. I get it. I'm just hypothetically. Give me one reason why I shouldn't dream of that. I mean, Tom Cotton wouldn't bring uh, Jared Kushner along with him. But that's what it is. Who, wh why is there legislation around these people? And why is it that George Floyd is like going to be as well known in this country as George Washington. 95% based on what we see, he didn't deserve to die. He certainly was no saint. It's not reflective of a broader thing. We have a country of 330 million people with worse tragedies every day that you never hear about. Why does every politician or every phony organization that has nothing to do with this that, but that has a need to virtue signal, why don't they feel a need to put out a press release on David Dorn, David Underwood, Cody Holt, Shane McAlonis, 
These are four cops. Well, I mean, Shane McAlone is hopefully God should heal him, but he's on life support. The other three cops were killed. The first two, David Dorn and David Underwood, were ironically African-American cops. David Dorn, obviously by now you've seen it, 38-year veteran, retired police cop, uh, police officer in the St. Louis Police Department, was defending his friend's pawn shop. A bunch of looters came in, shot him dead. He died gasping for air on the ground, fully taped with cell phones rather than trying to do CPR with his own phone in his hand. Where's the kneeling? Based on what the media is telling us, does every black individual in this country need to kneel to cops? Need to apologize? Does every cop or every white person grieve? And I only say that because in the minds of the media, a black cop is white and they're in there under their corrupt, retarded system. So, I mean, are we all, I mean, Cody Halt, he was killed in North Dakota. The first time in 33 years they lost someone in Grand, Grand Forks. Killed by a black person. So is every white person aggrieved? And does every black person owe us an apology? Of course not. But why, why do we have this double standard? The only answer to why George Floyd is greater than anything else is racism. It's pure racism. That's what it is. Obviously, David Underwood, also another African-American. He was a federal agent defending the courthouse in Oakland. And uh, Shea McLonis, he was shot in Las Vegas. Folks, where is their justice? And almost none of these people, I mean, I think in Las Vegas they caught the guy, but David Dorn and David Underwood, there are no suspects yet. No suspects. The four c- cops injured, shot in 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 uh, St. Louis. No suspects. Hundreds of cops have been injured. Park police in D.C. Where's the justice? Where's the justice for the God knows how many billions of dollars lost to small business owners? And you know what? Unlike the lockdown, which a lot of them didn't wind up getting the money anyway, Where's the stimulus? Everything is called a stimulus now, so where's the stimulus? Where's the legislation? Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham. Where's the alacrity to push legislation to compensate these people? These businesses? And by the way, another cop killed. Sergeant Stephen Williams of Moody, Alabama. It's another name you'll never hear of. Um, folks, <laughs> what is that? Five cops? Five? I don't, I don't understand. If one video sparks a discussion on legislation to go after the police, shouldn't five deaths spark a discussion to free up the police? I, I, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying under their logic... Shouldn't that spark protests and a revolution and legislation?
Because like I always say, sometimes cops are killed in a way that there's nothing they could do and you have to look at each circumstance. But a lot of times, the truth be told, it's because they're scared. And particularly as the University of Michigan and Maryland study showed, if they're dealing with a black um, suspect, they're even more tepid about using force. And they needlessly put their lives in danger, get themselves injured all the time. And then in the worst circumstances, they get themselves killed. How many cops, black or white, have sacrificed their own lives and their own instinct of self-defense in order to elevate the lives of black murderers more than white murderers, more than anyone else? That's a question that no one wants to investigate, but I think you know the answer to that. It's a lot more often than a cop being brutal towards someone who's black. And again, even when they are, there's no evidence they're doing it because the person is black. Because when you have that minority of cops that have that kind of, you know, macho, uh, you know, aura to them. And, uh, you know, we've all seen them in our in our lives. They act that way to everyone. It has nothing to do with race. And everyone knows that. Truly sick times. Sick times. There are so many narratives for, for Republicans to push, but it's left to the few of us that are willing to push it. Truly, truly a sorry state of affairs. But that's the thing. Where is the legislation? I'm just saying if one video pushes that, then, then what, about, what about legislation freeing up cops? Giving them better guidelines to defend themselves when they're in danger. Okay, you know, it appears that in the case of Minneapolis, they were no longer in danger and it was total overkill for, for, for too long. That is certainly a fair assessment based on what we know. But at the same time, you can't pull out one of 370 million annual um, interactions with police to create a narrative. You have to look broadly at what's happening. Generally speaking, throughout the country, do police in dangerous situations use too much force or too little force? And do they use too much or too little force in particular when they're dealing with black assailants? You know, we had a case two years ago in Baltimore County here where this female cop, it was bizarre. She was run over by one of these typical youths that has six felonies within a half a year, was under house arrest, wouldn't serve any jail time. And of course, house arrest is meaningless. They get out, they break their monitors, went out and robbed something. Cop showed up, he got in the van, and he ran her down. And, and my first question was, I was reading about the circumstances. I was like, you know, she's a young cop, you know, seems to be obviously in shape, it's kind of weird. It, it didn't look like she was caught by surprise, like you're run over. Um, you're not talking about an 80-year-old here. And then I was talking to some people, and it seems like what likely happened there, I don't know if we have proof, but what likely happened was that she was hesitating. She saw it. She didn't know what to do. She was hesitating to draw her weapon and shoot at the vehicle and waited until it was too late. Folks, how many cases are there of those who sacrifice themselves because they so badly don't want to shoot a black person more than a white criminal? 
Is, is that equal, the equality that Martin Luther King dreamt of? Ask yourself this. I mean, I, I said this on Monday. I said it on Tuesday. I'm going to say it again. Treating blacks with black criminals, you know, with kid gloves more than white criminals, taking a grievance against the black more seriously than a grievance against the white, is that equality? Is that really what we want in this country? Is that good for anyone? Is that right? Is that just? Is that equality? I don't understand why my colleagues are too scared to talk about this. To me, that's racism. That's the ultimate racism. When you're like, oh, okay, uh, I'm some dinky NGO organization that has nothing to do with public policy, but okay, a black person was killed. I, I, I got to put out a press release. The hush tones, ooh, we all grieve. I mean, dude, ask yourself this. If, if it would be someone who's white, would you react the same way? I mean, in my book, you should always react the same way. I just, I, I don't get it. I don't get how that is not the ultimate form of bigotry, that they are inferior weakling beings in the minds of the left that need to be mollycoddled, need to be excused. Whatever. I mean, it was George W. Bush who talked about the soft bigotry of low expectations. Now, of course, that he's become the ultimate virtue signaler much farther to the left than even when he ran for office and was in office. Now he's stepping on the gas pedal of that soft bigotry of low expectations. So that's where we are with the with the anarchy part. Anyway, I just want to bring up one more thing before I get back to a little bit of the virus news. And that is a case that really brings together everything I'm saying. How when you look at only one side of an equation and you don't look at the full picture... You look at a one case of police brutality and you want to build an entire narrative around an alleged systemic, not just systemic police brutality, but but specifically rooted in white supremacism. I mean, again, a guy gets into a tussle with him. He's big and strong. He's on drugs. The policeman loses it and goes overboard for too long. You know, the prima facie evidence is just that the guy particularly had a history of police brutality. That's what he was about. Nothing to do with white supremacism. It's just bizarre. But anyway, that you don't look at the other times where the system is by a factor of a thousand to one too weak on criminals in general and how most of our legislative action needs to be plugging the loopholes that tie the police hands that tie the hands of the prosecutors that ensure that bad guys get out and that ultimately ultimately when you do that who gets harmed the most other black victims and with that i present you the case from lincoln florida this is outside of jacksonville ryan long and michael white magpie so Michael White Magpie, 31-year-old, uh, appears to be black. He was gunned down by Ryan Long. So another black life that was ended, and this is a black life that doesn't matter to the political system, to the so-called BLM movement, and the media. You see, Ryan Long, and there's nothing unique about this case. I just, someone sent it to me, and this happens every single day. This is the rule not the exception. The case of Floyd is more the exception. This is the rule. 
And this is not even by far some of the worst cases we've talked about. But this was a guy who, and I'm sure there's more to it. I'm just reading from, what is this? Uh, the local ABC uh, Channel 8 station. Um, and where is this? So it looks like the guy was from Lincoln, Nebraska, but it happened in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. That's what it is. I said Lincoln, Florida. I got confused. I was like, yeah, I never heard of Lincoln, Florida before. So, yeah, it was Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, That's where this Ryan Long was from. And anyway, you go back to October. He had pending charges already from last October of robbery and assault of a man outside of some sort of strip club or something. Then a month later, November, he was arrested and he has a pending charge stemming from uh, shooting a woman in the thigh with a 22 caliber handgun. Then we have a scenario where, where is this? A couple months later. And, and notice he bonded out every time on like a few thousand dollars, pending charges built up once, twice. Again, I didn't look at his prior record, but I'm sure it's there. I'll look it up later. Um, April 23rd, he was involved in a rollover crash and he, um, he was found unconscious. He had an open bottle of Crown Crown uh, Royal whiskey. So he's on. He was drinking. He had marijuana, five point four milligrams. His blood alcohol content was point one nine six. And again, I mean, you know, he was out. Then on May fifteenth, he was arrested on his on a third offense DUI. So now. You would think you have a guy that is arrested for DUI and you know that just a month ago he was taking drugs and alcohol while driving and then you know that he had pending charges for assault and robbery and shooting someone in the thigh. Two separate incidents. So he violated the condition of his bond multiple times. So it's not just that he had a record, but okay, you're like, all right, okay, we'll give him bond. All right, well, then he commits another crime while out on bond, then another one, another one. And also put together, it demonstrates that it's not just some schlepper, you know, caught for DUI, which again, you know, cars kill. These are very deadly, but you know, but he's just deadly in that sense. But no, I mean, he was a violent person, clearly. What do you think should happen to a guy like Long on May 15th? By then, I would say easily he shouldn't be eligible for bond. Meaning there's one thing to say you don't want to hold someone indefinitely, whatever, you offer him bond. But if you violated the bond several times and put together a career history of violent crime, that guy needs to be taken off the streets. And I think everyone would agree to that. At the very minimum, you should have a very high degree of bail set. Instead, it was set at $75,000, which means you just have to pay $7,500. So after paying 10%, he was let go four days later, May 19th. May 23rd, he was arrested in Florida for the murder of this African-American. So he died because the system is too weak, and it's this system that they want to make even weaker. This is just, I mean, again, this is not the most egregious thing. We've had murderers and rapists let out, too. But I'm just telling you, these cases happen every day. 
no policy prescription, no societal institution is perfect. Criminal justice system is never going to be perfect. So you're going to have cases of overkill and cases of police brutality no matter what. Again, you're talking about 375 million police interactions with citizens in America every reoccurring year. One video, and they build an entire narrative, and yet I could, I could get you thousands of cases where the system is too weak, where cops responded too flaccidly and too late, put their own lives in danger, other lives in danger, and where the justice system at the prosecution level, at the, at the judicial level, at the evidentiary standards level, was too weak. So that's with that. So that's the anarchy. Then we go on to the tyranny. So isn't it funny how basically coronavirus has been cured? This is from the Telegraph, UK Telegraph. There is no evidence to suggest a coronavirus second wave is coming. Okay? Basically, the World Health Organization, a briefing basically admitted this is over with. So we did all these things for a lie, and yet we still won't modify our public policy here to track with the new reality of what we know about the virus. Because again, this is all about politics. The same politics that allowed Walmart to be open and a small business to be shut. The same politics that allowed liquor stores to be open but churches to be shut. The same politics that you know, said you can't have gatherings because it's a public safety threat, has no problem of packed crowds down the streets of thousands of people rioting. Because the reality is, now that they want to do something, they don't want education, they don't want hospitals functioning, they don't want businesses open, they don't want churches open, but they do want rioting. So now that they have something they want to do that that they deem as essential, well, guess what? Suddenly, they recognize the truth. And the truth is what we've always said. This thing has spread far and wide for much longer than we thought. Therefore, A, the infection and fatality rate was much lower. B, our ability to mitigate it was extremely limited. C, it had a shelf life. It has a curve in every country that it goes for a certain number of weeks and then it dies out no matter what you do or don't do. And that's why, you know, it's been three weeks since daycares reopened at full capacity in Netherlands um, without any social distancing among the children. Three, 400,000 children in daycares. Hospital admissions have continued to go down because we're, we're done with it. It's the same reason why schools reopened in 22 countries, a lot of European countries, and there has been no increase anywhere, meaningful increase, um, in in uh, hospitalizations, it's the same reason why. Um, what do you call it? ABC did an analysis of twenty states that opened earlier, and no problem. No problem. Another piece of news I want to share with you, and I'm just going to kind of have random observations here because we've missed some of the time with uh, with the virus news, there was a new serology test in New York City. And do you know that now, do you know what it does? So the, the big issue until now was like, damn it, 
you know, what happened in New York City? Okay, Daniel, the IFR seems to be about 0.2, 0.25 most places. But come on, New York City, it's got to be high. Well, you know, we thought it was maybe 0.7 or so. A new serology test comes out that, I mean, a heck of a lot of people have it and had the antibodies for it. And therefore, therefore, the implied IFR is at 0.3, just slightly higher. So we're now getting the truth. We have a prison in Michigan where almost every person tested positive for antibodies. Nobody died. Almost all of them were asymptomatic. I mean, this is what we're seeing again and again and again. Again and again and again. Um, another important thing I want to share with you. I got to run, do Steve's show. But in the remaining time is the R rate. Okay, th- th- This was a big deal. One of the big things that they said, and even I bought into this, was that this was very transmissible in the sense that the R rate, the R rate is like, you know, R1 means per one person infected, on average, transmits it to one person. And R3 would be one person transmits to three, and that's how you get like a multiplying effect. This is from the Daily Mail in the UK. Again, we have to go to the European media because our media just won't give you the truth. Coronavirus R rate could be as low as 0.5 outside of hospitals. Remember that much of this is a nursing home problem, but the remaining part of it, and this really played out in New York City with the reloading of the gun and the panic driving the problem, was the hospitals where you have so many people coming in at once because they have a stinking cold and then they actually get COVID. The hospitals... So it was, it was two levels of panic. They panicked telling everyone that if you get a sore throat, you're going to die. So everyone came in, and they all got it. And then number two, you're going to have so much bed space that you're going to need. You have to free up bed space. And then they went and put them into the nursing homes to free up bed space they didn't need to free up. And then they killed the people in the nursing homes. So here's the irony. And you see from the countries that didn't do this. Had they not lied to us, and had they not panicked, and had they not put out these bogus models, you wouldn't have had the extra hospital deaths you had in New York City, and you wouldn't have had the extra nursing home deaths. You take it out, it's essentially, you take that out of the equation, this is essentially no worse than the 2018 flu season, where we did absolutely nothing. And here, we nuked our society. And still, to this day, just because the media is not talking about it doesn't mean it exists. It's like everything got cured. We have a depression in this country. No one's working. 53% GDP drop, according to the Atlanta Fed. But anyway, this is from the Daily Mail. The controversial R rate of the coronavirus is far lower than previously revealed. Newly released documents show. Government scientists have refused to break down the reproduction value known as R0 into... Separate numbers for the community hospitals and care homes during the numerous daily press conferences. But previously secret documents show that in the community as a whole, it was much closer to 0.5. The national average is inflated by the huge rate of infections in care homes and hospitals. The R rate is the critical value on which the government is basing decisions as to whether to ease the lockdown. SAGE, the government's SAGE, the government's scientific advisory group for emergencies, said that the cases of infections in care homes and hospitals are pushing up the overall R number, 
which is much lower outside of institutional settings. The admission may provide some comfort for those fearing, fearful of catching the disease outside of care homes and hospital settings. Minutes of the SAGE meeting on May 5th said, the overall epidemic can be considered as three separate but interacting epidemics in the community, in hospitals, and in care homes. The overall reproduction number, R, is in the range of 0.5 to 0.9. If health and social care settings are excluded, it is likely to be at the lower end of this range. Friends, we were lied to. We were lied to in parallel ways about the infection fatality rate, meaning the severity of it, and then the transmissibility of it. It turns out, it turns out that this was much less transmissible and it was much less deadly. And it was much earlier and it was going on for months. And this explains because one of the things I can never understand is how come we had such a spike if we knew it was there for months? What happened in March that was different in the you know January and February and perhaps December? What was different? I mean, you can't deny that there were so many more people getting sick. But the question is, how much of that was a self-fulfilling prophecy driving people to the hospitals because of the panic itself? But again, I understand, okay, you made a mistake in March, but this went on week after week after week, and it's going on still to this day, and they are not modifying their policies. And yet there is no effort on the part of Republicans, just like there's no effort on the part of Republicans to offer and provide a bold contrast to what is going on with the riots and crime in this country. There is no effort to push back the lies. I understand, oh, we're scared. Everyone's scared of the virus back in March. There is so much information to use now. They don't know. They don't care. They're too dumb. Crisis of values, crisis of intellect. Folks, if you think this is all about the next election and the next election and the next Republican, you're missing the boat. We, we, we got to up our game, and I just don't know how to do it without a new party. You know, as we're talking, I'm seeing, you know, we started off the show talking about um, people in the White House and Senate Republicans pushing back against the Insurrection Act. Esper now says he doesn't want to use the Insurrection Act. Secretary of Defense. But you know what he does want to do? Bring in more Saudi military trainees to our military bases while ensuring adamantly so that our soldiers are not armed when they inevitably attack them. And we've had several more. There was one in Corpus Christi. We didn't have time to talk about a Syrian immigrant who attacked. There was uh, some sort of thing on a North North Dakota base two days ago. They, they say they have no suspects, which is bizarre. There's some sort of shooting there. Um, I Maybe you could check that out for me. I haven't had time to look into it. But despite that, all these attacks on, on military bases, Trump promised, quote, on day one of his administration, end quote, he will change the gun-free zone policy on our bases. He also promised to stop bringing in people from unvetted Muslim countries, and yet he won't even stop bringing them in 
as military trainees on our bases. Indeed, Esper promised to increase the program by 50% over the next five years. And in the process, violating another promise, at least if you're going to bring them in, allow our guys to defend themselves, as Trump promised at his CPAC speech, I believe in 2016 or 2017, well, that went out the window. Folks, we voted for Donald Trump, and we got Jeb Bush. Sorry to tell you. Now, the one difference is, I think he is more sensitive, a lot more sensitive than Jeb Bush, to what we want to do if we get in his face, because intuitively, as confused as he is, he does agree with us on a lot of issues, but agreeing with us and tweeting about it does not equal outcomes. I mean, I've been drumming this home for three years. So we need to keep up the pressure. Again, email me, dharwitz at blazemedia.com if you have any other insights. I got to run on Steve's show now. Tomorrow we'll have a special guest. Folks, stay safe, stay knowledgeable, and stay empowered.